Hello, everyone. This is the Gain podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. Thank you so much for joining us in what is a very difficult time for everyone. We are continuing to social distance here on the podcast. So in East London, it's Gregor Robertson who joins us, as does Matt Dickinson from Southwest London. Matt and Gregor, how are you both doing? Matt, how are you doing first? Uh, yeah, I'm staying sane, but then um, I keep having to remind myself I'm about a week into this. Um, I, yes, but we're uh, no trying to stay active, trying to um, keep um, level-headed. When you say keep active, what are you doing? Uh, well, I um, bought some. The last thing I bought before lockdown started were um, a couple of dumbbells. I've got two teenage sons who are. Um, uh, got a lot of energy to burn off, so um, we're trying to uh, we're trying to have a little family um, weight session a day. Um, I don't think there's any danger of me turning into Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, but uh, <laughs> at least it gives us a little something to do, a bit of focus to the day. And, and I just think these, you know, you got to take what you can out of these things. And, and I'm doing something with my kids that I wasn't doing, you know, two weeks ago, uh, and we've never done before. So take take the little gains where you can. I see. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you're aware of this, Matt, but Gregor has enlisted himself in a press-up challenge. So the question is, Gregor, how are you getting on? I really wish you weren't going to ask me that. I'm slacking. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Um, I'm slacking. I mean, if I tell you that I ordered a cocktail-making set at the weekend, that probably tells you how well my fitness regime <laughs> has gone since we last spoke. Um, Matt, we also have to um, we have to discuss Matt's son's uh, keep you up the toilet roll challenge. There's an overhead kick on a trampoline off the off the uh, the backboard of a basketball net and in no one you can try that you can do that again in a million years incredible I can I couldn't do it once in a million years and he he certainly couldn't uh, <laughs> I think he would struggle to repeat as someone someone wisely said uh, someone had noticed on the video said it looks like it's getting dark on your video and I, I it's no word of a lie I had said to him it, oddly enough it wasn't his first attempt and I had literally just said to him look it's starting to get dark and I need my tea so. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got you've got you've got a couple more efforts, and uh, yeah, lobbed lobbed up the uh, the bog roll to him, and um, yeah, as as I think um, as he he was tracking it by the minute, he's up to about two hundred fifty thousand views on Twitter now. So um, wow. uh, oh, again, wow. as you say, you got to take you got to take the uh, in these strange <laughs> times, you got to take the pleasures where you can, and and I have to say, it was it was one of those just lovely moments where uh you know you're prattling about in the garden and suddenly you can feel like Pele Rooney and whoever so yes even with a toilet roll oh we'll have to look out for that if you haven't seen it then on social media Uh, but coming up we will tell you which Premier League superstar Sunday Times columnist Graham Sooner says would be a doddle to play against and we are discussing the famous I was there moments in sports which you've been sending your tweets in for so plenty to come on this podcast right after this VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Now, Harry Kane says the Premier League season should be scrapped if it cannot be completed by the end of June. All elite football in England is, of course, suspended until at least the 30th of April because of this coronavirus pandemic. But Kane has echoed the thoughts of the UEFA president, Alexander Seferin, who said on Saturday the season will probably be lost if it cannot restart before the end of June. Kane has added his thought into it. He said this, I know the Premier League will do everything it can to finish the season. There needs to be a point where enough is enough. Probably the limit for me is the end of June. So Kane is coming up with a cutoff point of the end of June for the Premier League season to get things underway. Gregor, do you think that's right? Is the end of June realistic? No, I mean, personally, that looks pretty unlikely at the moment. Um so I think to the kind of possibility of of uh, of naming a date like that at this moment in time is is a bit hasty. Mm. Um, I'm quite I'm quite torn on this actually. I I was very much in the camp of it needs to be finished. The season must be finished um, whenever that may be. Um, but I think there's just so many unknowns. I understand like the the biggest issue is really is a business one and at this moment in time, and that I think is Martin Ziegler. Uh, wrote in the in the Times today. There's 750 million reasons why um, it needs to be finished because the broadcast money. Um, but I just think I don't. We don't know what, how long this is going to go on for. We've, we're not. We're not at the at the peak in this country of of the pandemic, um, and we're kind of learning more and more every day and every week. And I know this is a football podcast, but the. I think the, the what happens in the coming weeks about testing, whether that be for the the virus or immunity, could could change a lot, you know. And I think also the public appetite change. If six months is a long time, if we if we kick this into the long grass, I, I don't know what the what the kind of the appetite from the public is going to be whether to finish the season or not. So I, I think at the moment it's too hasty to to name a date. And um, as I say, I was I was very much in the camp of. The season has to be finished, but the more and more I think about it, and the longer this goes on, I, I think people's people's opinion on that could change. Um, I, I just think that naming a date um, at the moment is too soon. Mm. Matt, do you think Harry Kane would be saying this if he was playing for Liverpool? Uh, yeah, good question. I mean, we've seen you know there are uh, yeah undoubtedly self interest comes um, into these debates. Um, we saw that obviously with Karen Brady right at the start um, in a not very uh, admirable, admirable way, I don't think. Um, you know, I, you know, I can understand that there's, there's going to be a whole range of views on this, but I, I, I tend to agree with Greg. I mean, my gut instinct is that, you know, not, and not just for the financial reasons that we all know about the 750 million that's potentially at stake, I think for integrity reasons, um, uh, even more than that, it would be absolutely the best thing if if this season um, was finished, and I'm willing to to go beyond June if that can happen. I I, I don't think there needs to be any. This, well, I, just, I I think there shouldn't be a deadline put on that. Certainly at the moment, I, I see Martin Ziegler as, as we just mentioned. You know, Seferin's already pushing back to potentially August on that. I I think that you know we we have to keep an open mind, and you know we certainly have to look at any possibility of finishing this season if we can now maybe it'll get to a point where it seems either impractical or you know just seems wrong I don't think we're anywhere near that now does that mean then we have to consider next season as well and what 
any implications will have on that when we decide whether or not this season needs to be finished, Matt? Well, it's a lot easier, obviously, to redraft, you know, say say we do try and finish this season and say it doesn't get finished till the autumn into September, then obviously it's a lot easier to redraft, you know, certainly in terms of an integrity issue. It's a lot easier to say, okay, how long have we got left? What window do we have? How do we compress competitions? How do we change a league structure to make it work? You know, how how many games can we fit in? Which competitions? That's a a heck of a lot of a, you know, easier decision to make from a position of right, you know. Um, You know, we we know the time limit. We know what we've got to fit in and how we best going to do it. I'm not saying, again, that's going to be easy, but that I, I do think that you know there's we yeah we are very deep into the season and an awful lot of you know effort and and uh, has gone into it an awful lot of people invested a lot of you know hard work and emotion and and so on into it and and when you are you know in that position let's say i i think you know for i i think integrity you know matters to me obviously more than money uh, i know chief execs and chairman would be thinking otherwise but i do just think that um you know every chance of finishing this season has to be left open. Hmm. Well, a lot of brains are coming together to come up with different ideas of how we could possibly finish this season. One proposed plan is to isolate Premier League teams in World Cup style camps in London and the Midlands in order to play behind closed doors games in quick succession to get the season finished. Do you think that's feasible, Gregor? Um, I think at the moment, again, it sounds pretty bizarre, to be honest. I think there's so again. There's so many unknowns. I, I, it feels like if one, one case of coronavirus within, you know, even in one team would shut the entire thing down, because um, it's not like picking up an injury. This is a, a global pandemic, and you can take, you know, people can take all the care and precaution in the world to try and isolate that the, the the players and the staff and and whatnot. But it it only takes one. One little misstep or one one bit of bad luck for for someone to to come down with it, and then that's that's it. That's it. Goes down. So, I think it's an idea that it reeks a little bit of the kind of the desperation, I think, and the sort of self-importance of football that's been illuminated at the moment. There, I think we will need to kind of take a bit of a deep breath and 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 uh, and understand that there's not an easy solution at the moment, and we need to see what comes in the next next few weeks. Man, obviously everybody is missing football right now and a, a football mega feast like this sort of World Cup style camp for the Premier League to, to be finalised would give everybody that fix that they need. But would it morally be right for us to even think about doing something like this when we're in this period of isolation still? Well, I, I mean, I can't, you know, you can't blame the football clubs, authorities for exploring all options behind the scenes. But, I, you know, I think... I wrote something last week about sport having to know its place and you know certainly for the next you know couple of months you know the idea that any single resource that could be better used to fight this virus would go towards sport would be morally wrong you know I mean clearly the idea that you know a single ambulance or single you know single policeman might you know mm. be asked to to sort of help stage a football match when you know there is so much else to preoccupy us that can't happen any time. But yeah, I mean, clearly, but you know, behind the scenes, um, I expect there, well, we, I don't suspect, uh, we know that there are all sorts of talks going on and, you know, there are jobs to save in football as there are in other sectors. But I, I just think when it comes to staging matches, getting competitions back on the road, 
you know, I wrote this to say not just about football, but the Tour de France and the Open Championship. These are decisions that ultimately are going to need to be taken by government in league with senior health officials, not by sports bodies, because, you know, this is going to be a matter of, you know, what is good for the public, you know, having sport back on the telly. Yes, that would be lovely. But uh, this this is the type of decision that needs to be taken on on public health grounds. I mean, what what would happen to the leagues below? This is not going. They're not going to do this for every league. They're not going to do it for League Two per se. The, these these leagues can't afford to to play games behind doors, even if that was an option. It, that's a. So I mean, it's it's a little bit murky. This I think if the Premier League goes and 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 kind of keeps its house in order and finishes the finishes the season in quick sharp time, gets the the broadcast money in, in its coffers. Uh, are we looking at seasons out of tandem in this country now, uh, going forward? So, you know, I think there's a lot of question marks over that. Greg, well, just let me ask you then from a, a footballing side of things. Um, mentally, how do you think players would cope in a situation like this? Yes, a lot of them will have played at World Cups and Euros, so they'll understand that that tournament experience, but a lot wouldn't have. And although they will take the strictest measures by ensuring all the players, all the officials, all the broadcasters involved will have gone through the right tests, mentally, do you think they'll be in the right state of mind to play a tournament like this? Bear in mind that their family, they won't be seeing their family. They won't know what's happening necessarily if, if their family were unwell. All these things that need to be taken into account. Well, yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point. I think, you know, if someone in your, in your family came down with this uh, in the middle of, of what is essentially would be a mini tournament... Uh, that leaves someone with a pretty, a pretty tough decision to make, and and look, this is football at the end of the day, so I, I don't think it really would be a decision to be made. Somebody would to lose a player, and it, that's these aren't necessarily unlikely scenarios. So it's it's fraught with difficulties, keeping so many people isolated from the from the rest of the, the country, essentially. And it there there would be a value to it. There's no doubt having something to take our minds off of everything that's going on and and watch the football. There would be a value to it, but. I don't know whether, um, I don't know whether really kind of it can be it can be done on a sort of logistical level. I know, having spoken to Danny Murphy on this subject earlier on today, he he was quite in favour. I think it's quite doable, but I do wonder if that is his Liverpool fan head that's speaking more on this <laughs> than anything else. Let's move it on then. In the Sunday Times, Graham Sunes is the subject of Ask the Columnist this week, where he tackles all manner of questions on his football career, both on and off the field. But one question that was put to Sunes was this. Much has been made of your apparent disdain for Paul Pogba. Is this a misconception? What words of advice do you feel that you would have offered him? And this was Sunes's response. Pogba has absolutely everything to be a top player. Great athleticism, super technique, but his attitude to the game is the polar opposite of mine. He goes out with one thought in his mind. I'm going to show everyone how clever I am today and be the star of the show. My attitude, the way I was taught, was go out and work harder than the guy you're in against and see where that takes you. He'd be an absolute doddle to play against. Matt, what did you make of Sunes's comments? I saw someone's response, which uh, did make me chuckle, which is sort of saying, you know, the world can come to an absolute, you know, standstill and <laughs> we can be in complete crisis. But one thing stays absolutely un- unbending and unwavering and that is it's like of uh of Paul Pogba um you know we need we need some certainties in, in in life at the moment and this certainly seems to be one of them I think Graham's a very uh blunt um commentator I, I, I get a bit of what he's on, on about but I I 
equally think it can be overstated and I do think Paul Pogba his attention as we know has not been as on the day job as it might have been at Manchester United in recent months um he you know there's been you know obviously his agent's been kicking off they've been looking at exit options you know it's not been a particularly good stance from him or his camp um but the idea that he's you know sort of someone that Sooness would take the Mickey out of him midfield. I, 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 I do struggle. I mean, let's you know when when Pogba is at his best, as he was at Juventus when he was winning, you know, multiple multiple honours um, alongside Perlo, when he was playing for France and being one of the best players in a World Cup winning team. Then um, he didn't he didn't look any you know midfield fool to me. So. I'm sure. I'm sure Graham would have left a few marks on him. Gregor, where do you stand then on the whole Pogba debate? Do you think Sunes is right, or do you actually think he's been slightly disrespectful? I think there's an element of truth to what he's saying. I think uh, there's a kind of conflict in Pogba between the team, as as Sunes is sort of alluding to, between even if it's even sort of moments on the pitch, little decision making moments on the pitch between what is the best thing to do to help this team to win and what kind of is part of showcasing my extreme talent. Uh, and look, there's other players, lots of other players in the world that are like that. But Pogba is not a a Neymar or a Messi or a, a live winger or even really a number ten. Um, and I think I think people like Sunis and also people of this kind of generation, they see someone who has absolutely all the attributes in his locker to be a proper box to box midfielder, someone who dominates games. They, they don't see that, and I think they desperately do want to see that. So that's kind of, I think that's at the root of, of uh, Sunus's kind of unbending, uh, as Matt said, unbending uh, criticism of of Pogba. Uh, the idea that he'd be a doddle to play against, I'm not so sure. Um, <laughs> uh, an idea even that Sunus went out on the pitch always to, um, to just simply work harder than the other guy. I think, as Matt said, he he left a, a few tackles, sort of. Uh, don't help his argument that he always did the best thing for the team. Pogba, Ma- Manchester United are a better team with Pogba, isn't it? The, the arrival of Fernandez kind of has changed perception of that a little bit, but they're they're a better team with them in it. Uh, on the other hand, I feel that there's just a little bit too much water under the bridge now, and as Matt's saying there, there's so much noise around them, so much noise from him and his agent um, that. I'd be amazed if he doesn't leave Manchester United very soon and they don't recoup some of the money and reinvest it where they, they need it. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Okay, we're going to finish today's podcast with a look at some of sport's most jaw-dropping moments. And Matt has been writing about some of sport's biggest moments that he was lucky enough to report on live. Now, they don't have to be glorious moments. They can be sentimental or, of course, even moments of utter despair. I'm going to ask the panel for their top three I was there moments. And Matt, why don't you kick things off for us? Because some people may not, ashamedly, may not have read your piece in The Times. But what were your top three moments? Well, if we're, if we're talking, um, this is a football blog. So, I mean, I actually had a goal for, in terms of sort of jaw-dropping days of sport I've covered. I actually um, did a piece on uh, Jean van der Velde um, blowing the Open in, in 99, which, um, yeah, it was just one. It, it, I mean, I say I watched the tape back and was still sort of watching it with my head in my hands um, going, you know, don't do it, don't do it. But, uh <laughs> Uh, I, you know, if I'm going to talk about 99 and talk about football, then I, yes, I, I would say that the top football one on my list for very obvious reasons was being at the new Camp uh, to watch culmination of a treble to win the, the Champions League that way after the season they'd had with so many extraordinary roller coaster games. You know, the league title went to the, the last day of the season. It was, you know, mind blowing um, run of dramatic matches um, and, you know, football bloody hell at the end. So, <laughs> I mean, that would be top of my that would be top of my football list. But, uh, you know, when I was flicking through this, there are so many, you know, 1998, I was there to watch Michael Owen's wonder goal against Argentina, which was, you know, I've never seen a press box react the same way. I know we're meant to be partisan, but it was you know, genuinely, there were sort of people looking at each other in, and well, more than looking, jump, jumping around in a sort of, you know, not because it was sort of England we scored a goal, just in general wonder at the the nature of the goal, and and that was an epic match. Uh, Zidane's headbutt would have to be super high up there because, again, you know, if, if this is about moments where you can't believe what you're seeing, then then that is right there to be doing it in your last ever game of football a world cup mm. final you know you've got the chance to be the you know to finish this incredible career what a, a one of the greatest players i've ever seen and you know you've got this chance to bow out uh in style and you end up you know getting the red card in those circumstances so yes there was that i'd say football wise those are those are right up there but i i could probably talk for the next half hour but mentioning that zidane headbutt did you actually see it or did you have to see the replays to kind of get what had happened? It was one of those ones I sort of I saw something but didn't see it. If you know what I mean, you sort of glance something and just mm. sort of I didn't, you know, didn't I wasn't focused on it. I saw a sort of coming together, and by the t- you know by the time I'd sort of you know realised that's where my gaze needed to be, um, it happened. So I didn't I did need to see a replay to. Uh, I, I promise I was probably a bit like the ref who you know there's the the famous sort of rumor pretty well substantiated rumor around that that it took the fourth official to clock it properly on a monitor and say look you know you need to take action because it wasn't really anyone anywhere that anyone would have been focusing at that time it wasn't you know they weren't jostling over the ball or anything it was very much off the ball so um but yeah i mean the minute you saw it back on the replay uh it was just remarkable in every respect and and to be on that scale in your final football match um mm. almost felt unf- unfathomable fun i might even be able to say it once unfathomable <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we'll say it was a technical glitch, Matt. That's why we couldn't understand that <laughs> yeah, last exactly. word. But it certainly, it certainly was a jaw-dropping moment. Um, Gregor, what about what about your top three? I mean, Matt's going to knock me out of the park with with his ones there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the bit 
I think uh, my first one has to be I was at the game when Dennis Bergkamp scored that goal for Arsenal against Newcastle United at St James's Park in 2002, um, where Robert Pires fired the ball into him and he absolutely bamboozled, uh, I think it was Dabizas, the, the Newcastle defender, left foot touch around him and turn and pirouetted around him uh, the other way to gather the ball. He's kind of passed to himself. Um, so that I think that was my first time. Jermaine Genius had just... Um, I was at Nottingham Forest at the time and Jermaine Genius had just signed for Newcastle. So he got myself and, and two two other guys from... We were in the kind of in the academy at that time. He got us some tickets. And I just remember being sit, sat beside a guy called Craig Westcar um, and he just burst out laughing. We were sitting in the, among the Newcastle fans and he just burst out laughing. He couldn't control his his emotions at seeing that first hand. It was remarkable. Gregor, you say I'm going to knock you out of the park. I'm now incredibly jealous of you because uh, <laughs> I, I, I did write a piece once and said that is my favourite touch of a football ever. And, you know, I've seen a few. Um, and I just think Bergkamp, Bergkamp was absolutely one of my uh, heroes in, you know, just in, I mean, not as an Arsenal fan, but I just one of those players I was absolutely drawn to. Fascinating character. I interviewed him once, went over to Ajax to interview him, and the question I couldn't wait to ask more than any was about that goal and how he saw it <laughs> and, you know, what he was thinking and what he was trying to do. So, um, I say, my, my, my isn't bad, but I'm afraid I'm, I'm now going to spend the rest of the day thinking, you know, Jamie, Jamie Gregor. <laughs> well, that's as good as it gets. They get sort of definitely washed from here. Um, <laughs> the first, the next, my next one would be uh, my first old firm game, actually, which was in 1996, so I would have been 12. And it was just the most thrilling, eye-opening spectacle and game of football I'd ever, ever witnessed. Um, Pierre van Hooydonk and, and Gaza both missed penalties. Brian Lowdrop scored the winner for Rangers. Uh, and Peter van Vossen, I don't know if any of you remember, he regularly gets voted as the, the worst sitter of all time. I think Brian Lowdrop rolled the ball across the six-yard box to him and he scooped it over the bar, kind of with no one around him and a, the goal at his mercy. And Tommy Burns, the manager, got sent off. There was, you know, you know bookends and challenges galore. Paolo Di Canio was playing. It was just it was just one of those games that you kind of... I think that's where you really... As a 12-year-old, you go to a game like that and you think, I, I want nothing more than to be a part of that. Um, so that stands out in my memory. Absolutely, and then the last the last one has to be kind of a a because I've not been to many other sort of big events <laughs> like that. Um, but I think it has to be the first time I walked out at Wembley because I'd been I'd reached I'd been played for teams that had reached Wembley finals twice before and been injured in the weeks running up to them. So I thought I had kind of some kind of curse um, hanging above me when it comes to playing at Wembley. Um and I played in a in a, a playoff final in the National League against Bristol Rovers in twenty fifteen and there was fifty thousand fans there and walking out I just had the biggest smile on my face that I've ever had thinking that thank God I've I've reached this <laughs> finally walked out onto this 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 pitch to play football. Um and no matter what happens from there I knew that I would enjoy the day and I, I did even though we lost. Nice. 
See, it's nice because you could make it about yourself. And that was, I like that. I like that, Gregor. Um, obviously, you're all wrong because you weren't at the Brentford Doncaster game uh, a few seasons ago. when obviously, it was a case of whoever got a positive result out of that one went up. Uh, I was there to see Brentford awarded that last minute penalty, which we thought, and I genuinely thought, because I'm, I'm not the most optimistic when it comes to penalties, but I genuinely thought a 90th minute penalty, we are going to score this and we are going to be promoted to the championship. As it was, we know that two of our players argued about who should take the penalty. In the end, Marcello Trotter decided he was going to take it. And obviously he hit the crossbar. Doncaster were able to pick up the ball, ran down the other end of the pitch. They scored, they went up. Um, and so we had to spend another season in League One. But obviously when we think about it now, we uh, probably benefited from it because we went up the following season uh, in the automatic promotion spots. But anyway, um, plenty have been getting involved because we asked this question on Twitter and loads of people got in touch. Uh, this is from David Langley. He says, I was there when Mark Viduka smashed four past Liverpool. It was the best match I ever witnessed. Four, three leads. It was in the end after being 2-0 down. Uh, Jim Shondell says, Chelsea trailing Liverpool 2-0 at halftime in the FA Cup at Stamford Bridge in 1997. Sub-zero conditions. Couldn't feel my feet and were miserable as we uh, seemingly never beat them, but we turned it around 4-2 and went on to lift the trophy that season that was simply magic David Littlewood mentions the 1969 Intercity's Fairs Cup final first leg with Newcastle uh, 3-0 up in that one and they went on to win that 6-2 on aggregate that's the last major piece of silverware and the tweet got some of our Times colleagues talking. James Restall, uh, he's gone for Chelsea 6, Arsenal nil. The mistaken identity red card. Stamford Bridge chanting specialist in Asia at Wenger on his 1,000th game. And a rare, of course, a rare goal for Mo Salah as well back then. Molly Hudson has gone for the USA lifting the Women's World Cup trophy in 2019 in front of 57,000 fans who are all chanting for equal pay. There you go. Plenty have got in touch with their moments. Let me just pass on my thanks to Gregor and Matt for joining us. You may find yourself with a bit more time on your hands in the coming weeks. So do remember you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. All you have to do is search The Times subscription for more information. And we will be back this Thursday for The Game Podcast. Stay safe in the meantime. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.